Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My guest today is Allie Harvey, outdoor columnist for the Anchorage Daily News and landscape artist. The last time she was on Outdoor Explorer, she shared that she would soon pick up her new custom-built Airstream trailer that would serve as a mobile art studio. In May, she headed out to Ohio to see her new mobile art studio for the first time and drive it back to Alaska. On the way home, she hit some of the most beautiful country in the lower 48, painting outside as she went and even dropping off commissioned art pieces as she finished them. Keep listening for more on Outdoor Explorer. Welcome to Outdoor Explorer, Allie. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. When I last interviewed you, it was back in February, and we were just talking about your art in general and your column and your connection to the outdoors, but you were a few months away from your new adventure, and um, you were going to pick up a custom-designed mobile art studio and gallery that you were then going to drive around and, and do all sorts of fun things in and bring back to Alaska, and since that time you've made the pickup and you've made the trip back and you are actually only a couple days into your re-entry to Alaska. Um, so tell me how you're feeling right now. I'm reeling. First of all, I can't believe that the last time we talked was February because <laughs> I think that was a couple lifetimes ago. It feels um, like it. Right. And yep. I, yeah, as you said, re-entry is a really good way to describe it. Um, I, have a pretty pronounced sense of exhaustion right now. But you know that feeling of you come back from like a backpacking trip and you've been going and you've been fine and there's so much sensory input and you're enjoying yourself and then you get home, you unpack and you just crash. Mm -hmm. It's like that times 10. And so I'm giving myself the space. Luckily for me, I, um, I uh, work part-time with the consulting firm, Information Insights, uh, based out of Fairbanks. And I had already blocked out my calendar this week, no meetings. And I, was, I wasn't sure how I'd feel. And I just emailed everybody this morning, letting them know that I will be checking email this week and not much else because I will be fully ready to be back next week. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's just kind of reeling and processing and letting myself kind of stay put for a hot minute and let it all sink in. I think that's just a really good way to approach coming back from such a big adventure. And I think we should all include that in our big adventures. You need like a week, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I really appreciate that you're here with me today because I know, you know, you have a lot of things to do and you're, but you're still healing from all this and everything. So, um, I, but I'm really excited because I've watched your adventure as it's been going. And so I really wanted to catch you in the beginning of it. So let's start with the idea or how, or how this idea all came to be. Yeah, it was a COVID-19 adaptation at first. So Back in 2020, right, I had a brick and mortar studio, my first ever studio and gallery in downtown Palmer, which for a variety of reasons, I think we talked a lot at depth about that last time we spoke, um, I shut down. And a big reason for that was COVID. I wasn't using the studio, it was in a public space. I couldn't justify paying the rent on it. Um, and so I shuttered the studio and I was left with this feeling of man, I worked my tail off to get to this point in my deciding to really double down on art and grow the art side of myself and my career. And it's just kind of come to this abrupt halt. What could I do? You know, just sitting at my kitchen table in my house, working small again and not publicly felt like a step back. Uh, and so I started kind of thinking out loud and brainstorming with my husband and with friends about ideas for how I could even during COVID times with all of the uncertainty then, because 
vaccines were, you know, but a whisper on the horizon in 2020. And so I didn't know when, when and if things would be back to quote unquote normal. Um, what could I do to still really focus on and double down on art? And I had this idea for, well, what about a mobile studio? What about something that I could take to the places that I love to paint, which are primarily wild landscapes, maybe with like a kind of hint of something man-made so that you can see context and kind of how we are in those landscapes. What if I could take a studio directly to those places and paint and then have kind of a awning pop-up tent outdoor setup where I could socially distantly show off art and interact with people and connect with folks and paint. And I thought at first about a, you know, kind of standard trailer, your standard RV. And I knew that it needed to be a visual draw, right? Like you see somebody's trailer and you're not thinking, why let me go up to that Jayco and interact with them. No, there's kind of a privacy thing. You're not wanting to go do that. But I, um, in kind of doing some research, I was drawn, at first I was drawn to schoolies, like school buses, looking at that mm -hmm. as a potential, because they're kind of quirky. Um, and people are really curious to kind of see how people renovate school buses. But then and there's lots of space like, in them too. True story, true story. But aesthetically speaking, what I settled on was Airstream because I myself have been drawn to the kind of sleek, shiny exterior of Airstreams at various art events or other events. They're, um, they have this very iconic design. Um, I think a lot of folks in my family I introduced to the Airstream for the first time and now they can't stop seeing them everywhere. They like send me pictures or texts when they see an Airstream rattling down the highway, you know? It's like um, when you're pregnant, everybody around you seems to be pregnant. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they're kind of everywhere. Um, so I settled on an Airstream and then I found out about the price tag really actually in the COVID market for any mobile uh, situation, right? Like sprinter vans and Airstreams and RVs shot through the roof because the interest in this nomadic lifestyle went up. Um, and so in kind of designing the plan for actually getting an Airstream that could function as a mobile art gallery and studio, I realized it was going to be, you'll appreciate this, a marathon and not a sprint. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I and do so appreciate that. Was kind, of, <laughs> that was kind of the genesis of the idea. Um, the next step was doing fairly intensive research. And anybody know, who knows me will laugh because there was lots of spreadsheets uh, involved to really look at and vet potential Airstream designers and builders all across the country. Not much up here in Alaska. And so it meant that I was going to need to source it from the lower 48 and I, I have a, it's a big spreadsheet, um, but who I settled on was this uh, designer and builder. The builder's been around since the sixties. It's family owned. Um, they have so much experience, just really good and competent folks. It's PNDES trailer service out of Helena, Ohio. And then the designer who works with them, Kelly Paget with Wooden Locks. Um, and I went with them because Again, they brought that really good. They they worked with me to custom design this Airstream that they had an agreement with Airstream Incorporated to actually get a Airstream shell fresh off the assembly line. And the perk to that is you're not just getting like a 1960s, God only knows what is happening in the Airstream. There's some certainty there. Um, and then they can just custom design it from the inside out. And so wow. they worked with me and then I was working on my end to get ready for and to finance this thing too. 
again, like take the shell and just absolutely customize it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of the genesis of how this happened. So when did you start that process with them? 2020, mid 2020. Okay. So it, what, the idea sprung into my head. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, as soon as you had the idea, you did some research and then you're like, okay, I'm going for it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so yep. it took about two years for this yep. to come to fruition. It did. Yeah. And when you were doing your research, did you find anybody else in the United States who's like doing something similar to what you're doing now, like traveling around and with their, maybe not even art, maybe something else, but. I did a lot of folks with the kind of mobile airstreams are doing kind of um, coffee shop or mobile food, or maybe even like mobile experience. Like I know that Outfitter works with kind of gaming outfitters who trick out there at the interior of their airstreams with like gaming or I've heard of like cigar and wine bars oh, but whenever wow. I'd look into mobile art studios I'd find um airstreams that were like staying put on somebody's property mm -hmm. right so I think I don't think the mobile art studio concept is novel and there's other artists out there doing that um but as far as airstreams went what I could find in my cursory research was that folks for the most part kind of had it set up somewhere fixed where they could make it into a really cute kind of a shop um, because, you know, this thing is mobile and so things need to latch down and be stashed away and I can't, I'm not planting plants outside of it, for instance, so. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. But you could, you could go to some mobile uh, uh, park and just plant if you wanted to. <laughs> I could and maybe I will. <laughs> One of the pictures that you have too, I just, I did see it like a row of Airstreams. I don't know if this is in Ohio or if you were at a park or whatever, but it, I did see a row of them. So when I showed up in Helena, which let me tell you about a kind of amazing experience. It felt like a first, it felt like a, not a first date, it felt like a third date. I um, had been in contact with PNS trailer and wooden locks for years, right? Since 2020, we've been talking and designing. And then the day came where I was finally plugging their address into my GPS and pointing my car the two hours and change north. And my heart was in my throat. I just had this oh. excitement of getting to go and meet these people and see this place and start the process of, you know, seeing my trailer for the first time and picking it up. And when I showed up, the, um, the outfitter, they're located on, it's a family farm, right? It's been around since, again, the 60s and I think even before. And it's, it's become this hub for Airstreams. And they love Airstreams. And so one of the corners of the property is kind of, it's, I guess, affectionately known as the Airstream graveyard, the boneyard, where you can oh. go for extra parts. <laughs> so I think the photo you saw was where I camped. I backed up my truck because I was still living in the back of my truck at that point while waiting to pick it up. And I camped out in the Airstream boneyard, which was beautiful and eerie. Yeah. And I got to see sunset and sunrise out there and wake up with the birds. It was it was really peaceful. It was a little bit kind of um, a place, a, a very different experience from living in Alaska. So to kind of like barrel my truck down the highway from Alaska and then finally kind of screech to a halt at this farm in you know, flat as can be farmland slash airstream magnet. Ohio yeah. is pretty surreal and very beautiful. And that's actually the image you're describing is one I'd like to paint at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a pretty cool image. Uh, so when you start, you talked about starting to get this financing together. And I know you made quite a few sacrifices in order to have the money to do this. And then you also had a community behind you that contributed to this. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. 
Like, how do you make a dream like this come true? Because everybody's always like, it's the money. I can't do it. I don't have the money. I mean, not alone to your point. Right. I, right. I did. I, I am um, one of my ethics in life generally is just being willing to put sweat equity in. Right. Like, I'm not going to ask you for something, which by the way, thank you, Lisa. Also, you are one of the full disclosure. You're one of those contributors to this dream. And thank you. Yes, I um, did. I did donate to the cause. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> um, I don't want to ask others for something if I'm not willing to make as great or more of my own sacrifice towards it. And so it was important to me that, you know, of anybody like I, before I even opened my mouth to ask for any help with it, I was doing absolutely everything that I could to contribute towards it. Um, couldn't do it alone, but I also was motivated by this fear, right? Like I, I'm working with a designer and they're doing their best to work with me on their budget. But at the end of the day, especially, if, you know, supply chain and COVID and all of that, it costs what it costs. And so I had this fear that was a motivator that I would, it would get to the point to pony up and I would not have enough to pony up. And so I knew that I needed to throw absolutely everything I could towards this dream and do everything I could to be ready so that when the time came, if God forbid, I didn't have enough, at least I would know, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't have taken that vacation. There was none of that. I didn't have any of those lingering thoughts. And so I, yes, I spent those couple years, my husband and I, which he was arguably the bigger, biggest supporter of all of this, just in terms of patience and monetary and emotional support and partnership. Um, and this is the greatest, one of the greatest examples is that both of us decided to put our house up on Airbnb for short-term rentals throughout the summer, which we're not done. We still, you know, uh, it's not over yet. We have another slate of Airbnbers starting this weekend. So I'm kind of talking about re-entry. I'm re-entering right now and getting ready to live in this thing again for the next three months, pretty much solidly. So but this, time you, this time you have the trailer to live in before you and your husband talk about what you were doing in order to Airbnb your house. I <laughs> it's, mean, pretty, it's a huge sacrifice. There was definitely a moment last August where First of all, we had discovered the hard way that there was a little leak in the um, truck bed, a covered truck bed, but still it's a 10 year old truck after time, things happen. And it was a, I don't know if you remember this, but just like right now, it was a particularly rainy August last year. And I remember being in a campground and lying in the back of the truck because we're going to go to bed. We have work in the morning because that's how it is. And we had like the very sad wadded up paper towels slash cotton trying to staunch the trickle that was more than a trickle at this point coming into the truck bed and just lying there hearing the rain pounding on the roof right above our heads and saying this is in service of something better Mm -hmm. it will be better next year and I can tell you having again just gone up the Alcan to do this again and stopping at a campsite where you know foot of the Cassiar highway it's been pouring for days or it feels like that I didn't mind. So I got into my trailer. It was perfectly dry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a much more livable space in the back of a truck. <laughs> it sure is. It you have sure a bathroom is. in there. <laughs> I, do. I do. I have a bathroom and a stove and a sink. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to work with a friend to, to do the financing piece. Um, you know, negotiating the rates and all of that good stuff and having the plan in place. But 
it's a lot better than going to a bank. And I know it was meaningful for her too, to be able to support stuff she cares about within the community. And it was huge and is a huge vote of confidence in me in this dream to be able to work that out with her. So that was a really, I would not be doing this were it not, maybe I'd be doing it, but it would take longer. And I don't know what the terms would be through, you know, whatever bank. And so that's a huge deal. And then I also um, found a donor who was willing to kick in some cash to provide a match. And some of this goes back to, I've been lucky to work with a lot of nonprofits in my day. And so I have fundraising experience and I know that matches having a match where, you know, if you kick in a hundred bucks, this donor will kick in a hundred or $200 that, that goes a long way for a donor, including myself to know that their money's going to be maximized. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to find somebody to secure that match and then ran kind of a crowdfunding campaign. But the success of that blew me away. I mean, the folks who are contributing to that from all areas of my life and even folks I don't know or who maybe I only know through art, it made me cry every single time. I would do put another email out or make another social post and the money and the notes would start coming in. I spent a lot of time with puffy eyes during that time. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, it was so special and it still is. It's like, I look around at this trailer and I'm not thinking to myself, like, look what I did. It's very much a community effort and people donated in all sorts of ways too, right? Like, yes, there was definitely the money part of it, which was the material. Like I needed that to be able to buy the trailer and folks let me camp on their property. They gave me like bath soap when I needed bath soap. They helped me back in the trailer. Our amazing mechanics helped make sure that like our vehicle was fully ready for the journey and supported my art business. Like so, so, so my, the firm I mentioned, Information Insights worked with me on cutting my hours down from 30 hours to 20 a week so that I could go on this amazing journey. Like not everybody would do that. I have been very lucky And I, again, I look around this trailer and I don't pinch myself of like, wow, Allie, you're really, yes, I'm, I'm proud of myself for what I had the vision to push myself to do, but none of this happened by myself. And that Mm -hmm. that's the most special part about it. I mean, I think that's Alaska too. I mean, could you have done this in another state, maybe another small state like Wyoming? Maybe, I don't know, but Alaskans are just special that way and being able to support people around them and take care of each other. You are so right. And that's part of the reason it feels really nice to be back. And I'm really looking forward to kind of actually using this thing in the state of Alaska, because I think it's a really welcoming and open-minded and supportive state in which for me to kind of honestly learn the ropes, right? This is a brand new concept. And now the next phase is figuring out what it actually looks like day to day and week to week, month to month to have a mobile art studio. Where do I park it? What do events look like? All of that good stuff. And I think Alaska is the perfect place to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, you got to Ohio and had your moment of seeing your new baby. And and I did neglect, although you've already referred to it, that you are in the studio right now talking to us. And um, it is pretty cool. And so you got there and you got to hook it up to the the new truck you got because your old truck wouldn't wouldn't pull it. So you got a new truck, which was hard giving up something that had been such a huge part of your life too. And then you had to learn how to pull this trailer around and back it up and all of those good things. I'm assuming that you've backed up a trailer before. I don't know, but was this the first time you'd backed up a trailer? I can see in your face. (laughs) Not with the Airstream, but at some point it dawned on me, probably around the last time we talked, actually it dawned on me in March-ish. Huh, I think I should probably uh, 
hitch up a trailer and learn how to drive it and back it up for the first time if I'm going to pick up a trailer and driving it across the country and back to Alaska. And so I, again, talk about the graciousness of Alaskans, um, a set of friends, one pair who own a trailer and were willing to let me borrow it and another who was willing to donate his Saturday to the cause. Um, I went, hitched up and spent a Saturday afternoon, like a solid four hours, just in a sunny corner of Palmer, uh, backing a trailer up. It didn't go so well at first. There's a reason that we did that for four hours. Um, yeah. And then it's hard. I, I mean, I had a business where we had a trailer, so that was the first time I'd ever backed up a trailer and, and my business partner was great. We worked really well together. So we were able to communicate well with each other and backing it up, but it is, it is hard backing up a trailer. I have a lot of respect for people who do it all the time. I mean, the key is that you were able to communicate so well with your business partner, right? Yeah. I think the joke is that many a marriage has been ruined by trying to hitch up. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> but I got a lot of practice. So yeah, I learned, I had that one practice day in Alaska, then headed south, picked up the trailer. And even just that one day, at first I was really keen on pull-throughs, right? You're rolling up to different campsites and you can have the back-end site or you can have a pull-through site. And now I understand why that's so heavily advertised. Um, but I also had enough skill and got a little refresher course while I was at PNS. Um, I had enough skill that I was able to very, very slowly uh, get better and better at backing it up. And I think the best piece of advice that I got about it was just take it slow and don't be self-conscious. If you need to stop, if you need to scrap the effort completely, if you've got somebody waiting and breathing down your neck, they can wait. Don't rush it and don't get frantic or stressed. Just like take your time. Um, and that really helped, particularly early when I was like inching my way into spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that can, it can be so stressful, especially if people are waiting on you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, so let's, so you left, uh, what, so what'd you do in Ohio? Did you, did you stay there at all? Or did you just start heading West? I ended up staying on the farm for probably, a, I was thinking about this probably a little less than a week. Um, at first the plan was really to scoop it up and head straight to Cincinnati to hang with a friend, go to a concert, but I, again, was a brand new Airstream owner and there were things I really wanted to learn and make sure that we dialed in with the trailer before I took it into the sunset for what felt like forever, right? I wanted to make the most of my time there. It was also planting season for them. So they got the trailer done in time, but I think it was a real push. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up and they graciously they were so sweet. They like set me up with full hookups, you know, and like sitting on this property, full hookups. And so I had a little more time and a weekend to just stay put on the farm while we worked out some of the kinks and again, taught me how to back up a trailer again and made sure that it was registered and I had the temporary plates, all those administrative pieces. Um, and it felt good to do that in less of a rush. So I adapted my plans a bit um, to spend less time in Cincinnati, but more time up in Helena. And that time was really special. Um, the farm itself was beautiful. There was something about the wide open flat space there where I could kind of gaze out the windows and have room and space to absorb and think everything that was happening. And I was just enjoying the shiny newness of this dream come to life, right? Like 
just getting to go inside the trailer and spend time in there, setting up my easel for the first time, realizing that it does indeed function as an art studio in which it's really nice to paint. The lighting is really Woo! good. <laughs> know, a little aside, um, getting to cook in here. I had a cousin who drove two hours from where she lives in Ohio to come and see it for the first time. And we spent, it was fun watching people kind of like take it in and gawk. And I was starting to decorate it and put up little like, hooks to lots and lots of command hooks in here um uh-huh. up. yeah so, you have two paintings behind you as we're talking they're really beautiful yeah thank you command <laughs> hook Tongue by command this is my yeah. favorite <laughs> 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 yeah, i spent that week in ohio first really um i mean getting to it was cool i got to get to know everybody who worked on the trailer which was really special um and and then really settling into the trailer and kind of working, figuring out how to use it. There's a funny story where, oh, yeah, I'm saying this on public radio. Um, <laughs> it's a funny story where my first time getting into the trailer, I shut the door behind me and Airstream handles are weird that I now know and that they open, the handle opens by pulling up rather than the intuitive thing, which is pushing down. And so when I pushed down and couldn't get out, I started panicking and playing with all the knobs one of which was apparently the deadbolt. So I locked myself in my own trailer <laughs> and I had to FaceTime the owner and ask him for his assistance. And he very kindly and non-condescendingly told me to turn the deadbolt the other way and then push the handle up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> man oh that that's bold to admit that <laughs> just did <laughs> you are listening to outdoor explorer on alaska public media i'm your host lisa keller we're going to take a short break and when we return we'll hear more from traveling landscape artist ali harvey you're listening to outdoor explorer on alaska public media Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. You are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My conversation with traveling landscape artist Allie Harvey continues. So did did you... um... Did you do any painting while you were out there in Ohio on the flats? Because <laughs> it's so did. different than everything else. It is. And and I I work from photo references. So I'm I'm gonna get, I'm really interested in kind of exploring what's known as plain air painting, where you're just looking outside and painting what you're in the middle of. Um, there's a couple of Alaska artists I follow who are great at it. So I'm gonna that might be kind of a next wave of alley learning things. But yeah, I was really lucky another way that I was supported through this and this is a win-win was I had a full slate of commissions lined up where folks sent me a photo reference of something that they wanted painted and we came up with an agreement about the size and when it would be done and how much it would cost and all that and I had my very first commission that I started in Ohio and so that was cool because immediately in setting up my easel I was thinking I'm a working artist like I'm I'm painting this thing I already have the down payment on it and commissions particularly during that time were and are so great because they're kind of I like to say that they're the community supported agriculture like the CSA model of art because for me as the artist I'm getting known income steady income I can predict it and for somebody else they are commissioning a piece that they know that they want and they are paying for my services and they know what they're going to get and when they're going to get it and so yeah I started um 
it was a commission of a, a good friend, um, her family's farm. And so getting to, and she lives in Cincinnati. So I got to paint it almost fully when I was in Ohio and then deliver it to her in Cincinnati and see her reaction. So that was a pretty special way to kick off the trip. Oh my gosh. I, that just like occurred to me, just like, boom, light bulb that not only can you go someplace and, and paint something that started there, the picture's there, but then you can actually deliver it to, to the client. Yeah. That that's yeah. great. I love that. Yeah. I got to do it two more times. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where else did you do it? I got to deliver one to Colorado actually for a client that I met and know in Alaska. Um, we'll probably listen to this at some point. And that was really, really special. That was a big one. It was tall and it was a, is that the birch Aspen. one? Yes. Yeah. Oh, the Aspen. Aspen. Yeah. The Aspen. In yeah. The Colorado forest. That was giant. And so immediately after finishing that first commission, I started that and then made, um, made Southern Colorado a stop on the trips that I could actually go and hand it off and deliver it. So that was really, really cool. And then the final one popped in while I was on the road and it was for somebody in Nevada. She, um, it's, this was a humbling one because I looked at her photo reference and thought, really, really? That's, that's the, okay. Okay. I, I can, I can work with this. And as I was painting it, I saw what she saw. I started to see, it was, a picture of a um, mountain range in Nevada's famous Black Rock Desert, and there's a rainbow over it. But a lot of the picture is kind of moody sky, and then uh, kind of deep, dark uh, sage green in the foreground, kind of dark because it's a cloudy, moody day. And then there's this one strip of mountain that's spotlit by a break in the clouds, and it has the rainbow. And so I was looking at it like, well, I mean, the mountain range is really striking, but everything else is just kind of moody and dark. But as I was painting it, I saw the color everywhere. I mean, there were purples and grays and blues and the foreground had really interesting texture. And then of course I spent most of the time in the middle of the painting on the mountain. And it was really cool and really humbling because it was an opportunity for me to start out skeptical, but then through the experience to really see and connect with why this person asked me to do the painting. And she shared with me that she'd been waiting for the right person to do it since 2012 since she painted like first took the picture so oh that was my gosh so cool and then I got to meet her and hand it off and again see her reaction which is the best part you know oh, um, don't great. like making people cry but it's pretty cool when they do <laughs> yeah that is so awesome <laughs> okay so you finally you're you're in Helena Ohio you finally decide okay time to move so where'd you go next I went to Cincinnati um down to state park, hung out with some good friends there. And then, so the way I did this journey was there were very few times that I was actually driving by myself. Um, I wanted to have people along with me for every leg of the journey for safety and company. And so my sister came in from where she lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and she met me in Cincinnati to begin the journey from Cincinnati out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So after a bit of time in Cincinnati, some thunderstorms, lots of greenery, very, very beautiful, spending time with friends, my sister and I set sail for Albuquerque. And that leg of the journey, we pretty much booked it across the country. We were, we and I throughout the entire journey were kind of juggling both traveling and driving, which side note, it turns out I don't like driving all that much. So, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we were balancing that with also just having work commitments and other commitments. And so 
Because you're still actively working too during this time, the 20 hours a week. Yep. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So we needed to book it pretty fast to get to another kind of set point where we could, okay, like take a breath, set up our my fi's and internet devices, which I learned a lot about on the road, um, and actually buckle down and get to work. And so yeah, she we booked it across the country, made it to and you know, another lesson learned, right, is every single day that you're packing up the trailer and moving, that's primarily what you're doing that day. Like mm-hmm. don't plan for a big work effort. Don't plan for a big hike. Like likely the point of your day will be waking up, buttoning up the trailer and then moving and then figuring out where you're going to set up and sleep for the night um, and then setting up for the night. There's just a lot in that. So that pretty much occupied our days um, hauling and when across you, the country. Yep. When, you, when you would leave one place, would you go, oh, okay, we're going to make it to this next place because there's a campground there where we can hook up and everything? Yeah, we would roughly do that. We did it a couple different ways. So I had a whole, I still have a whole folder on my iPhone full of different apps And I found myself kind of toggling between the apps. And so a few that I used quite a bit were Campendium, which really is good for finding um, RV parks. And so depending on where we were, if we were like, okay, we're roughly in this place that we want to be for the night, I would pull it up and see what was nearby. Also, of course, use recreation.gov, which has the government campsites. Um, That's for a little bit kind of more off the beaten path and remote camping. Hip camp is kind of like Airbnb, but people um, let you camp on their property for a fee. And then another new one for me, which I only started using at the end of the trip, is this platform called Boondockers Welcome that my husband found that it's basically you pay a pretty nominal annual fee. You make a big set of commitments, but it it is um, people across the country. Actually, I think it's international because there were Canadian ones, too, who graciously offer their property for what's called boondocking when you're wanting to just like not be at a proper RV park, but park somewhere for the night um, and basically be off grid. Although a lot of these hosts, again, for free or a nominal fee, graciously offer you electric hookups or even water. Um, And so that was a really, really cool find. And again, I utilized that more towards the end of the trip, but yeah, to your point, it was kind of a mix of if there was somewhere where I knew I wanted to set down roots for a little while, then I would go ahead and make a reservation so that I had that known quantity. But a lot of times when we were on the road, it would be a, let's check in with ourselves at 6 PM, see where we are and how we feel. If we want to keep pushing, we can. And if we want to start finding somewhere, let's pull up the apps or see where mm-hmm. the tent icon is or the RV icon is off the highway, which we found a couple sites that way and pull out. And it worked out. There was not, there was not one time now that I'm reflecting on it, where we were out of luck with a place to stay. I didn't pull into a Walmart once. I mean, 30 years ago, I did a big trip. I was out in my truck with my boyfriend for, you know, three months going across the Northern US and Canada all the way out East. And there were so many times where we just had to pull over on the side of the road. I mean, we had no idea, you know, we had some loose idea. Oh, there's supposed to be something up here and then it would never materialize. And one time we actually did, I think it was like in maybe Maine, we stayed on somebody's property and we went and we knocked on their door. They had a huge property and said, can we, can we stay here tonight? And they were like, yeah, sure. Just go out in that field out there. I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there were some amazing, cool things like that, but it it just, gosh, it would have been so nice because we spent a lot of nights in the truck, like 
just on the side of the road and it was dark and it was scary, even with two people, you know, yeah. like it, uh, are, are we going to get attacked here or what, what's going to happen? You know? Yep. Totally. And we never did, obviously we made it, but <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like kind of the analog version, right? And I'm here, I am describing all these apps to you and you're thinking, I'm like, <laughs> that would be nice to have. <laughs> it would have been really nice to have. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, you know, and we'll get there, but it is pretty funny. I just finished the leg of the journey, um, with my cousin who lives in Brooklyn, New York. He's lived there for almost 20 years, uh, New Yorker through and through, but is the kind of guy which I really admire. He can just walk in different worlds. He's open for the, he, I asked him if he was interested in joining me for this journey. He is hilarious and very go with the flow. And he said, yeah, honored I'm in. And so he came and one of our first stops was to pick up a mile post because when going up the Alcan and especially we decided to go to Cassiar, you're not going to have signal, but he had to use the mile post, right? He's my shotgun passenger. I can't be driving the trailer and using the mile post. And so on day one, he's trying to read this thing, which it's not the most intuitive. It has a ton of information, right? But you have to kind of get used to the flow and the format. There's a primer mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book and he got fed up and put it down and then just had to <laughs> enter in the, he was like, I'm just going to use Google. I'm just going to use Google. And then it was funny to watch his progression. Like by the end of the trip, he was besties with the mile post. And he kind of laughed at that moment where very early in the trip, he just decided like to hell with this thing that Allie got us. I'm going to just use my phone and then quickly realize, oh, like for him in Brooklyn, when's the last time that he's really, but he goes to the Catskills frequently, but even at those places he stays, there's Wi-Fi. So it is unusual for, I think us as Alaskans to be so used to and more comfortable with being without signal Mm -hmm. and kind of knowing how to adapt for that. Uh, So that was a funny moment, right? Like kind of learning and relearning and me too, like, how to use the analog mile post and like take away the apps from my phone and instead look for yay old fashioned camping icon in the book and then try to point the truck towards that. I love that the mile post is still around, that it is still essential if you're going down the Alcan. I really just think, I mean, how much longer can that last? I just think it's such a special part of our history, you know, and I'm really glad to see people still have to use it. Absolutely. I put it on hold at the Barnes and Noble in Bellingham, Washington, or went and picked that thing up. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, you're, so you went to Albuquerque and um, with your sister you, and then you get there and then where's next or what, did you do anything special in Albuquerque? Yeah. My sister and I primarily worked, honestly, we went out to a fun dinner together and we primarily worked and drank our pink wine at nights. Um, mm-hmm. We had a blast but it was like, there was nothing like super kind of, um, I felt bad later on. She kept on texting me like, I joined you for the wrong part of the trip. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, we had a good time, right? So she left. And then um, my husband flew in, Wes flew in just a couple days after. And that began, I think it ended up being a month that he was with me. He even, he delayed his flight a little. I think it was supposed to be three weeks and he ended up staying on a little bit longer. So we started in Albuquerque and then kind of, picked our way north um, to the kind of region. It's Ibecue. It's near the famous Ghost Ranch. It's kind of in the, I think it's like the mid-north part of the state. And we went on to Ibecue and found a beautiful campground overlooking a reservoir that we ended up deciding to stay there for a full week because 
again, it provided that nice certainty. We didn't need to like move the trailer. We both had to work that coming week. I needed to do this commission, but staying there. And again, we were kind of perched high. We could, we could ghost ranch was right around the corner from us, like a 20 mile drive away. We could see the cliffs from there. Um, looking over this reservoir, we would turn on the MiFi during the day and both clickety clack and do our work thing and negotiate who's going to be outside and who's going to be inside. Um, West determined as he has ever for health and well-being created himself a standing desk that was comprised of a table and a cooler stacked on top of it. So <laughs> worked under that. You didn't have to spend all. hundreds of dollars for that. It's just that's <laughs> right there. That's awesome. Make a standing desk. So we would do that, and then you know, in the mornings we'd go for a run, and then in the evenings we'd look at each other and say, "You want to go out to Ghost Ranch and go for a walk?" We'd go to freaking, you know world famous Georgia O'Keeffe scenic ghost ranch and go for like a late afternoon evening walk and then get back to the trailer and make ourselves dinner and sit outside with this beautiful view and sunset surrounded by sagebrush and this beautiful you know desert environment and we felt like and then get up the morning and do it all again and it, it felt like we were getting away with something you know it felt like well shouldn't we be doing the grind like shouldn't we be going to the grocery store shouldn't we be dealing and, you know, those logistics are catching up with me now. I have a horrifying bag of receipts in the <laughs> center console of my truck that I have to reconcile at some point. It's hanging over me. I won't lie. But, you know, it's still that that um, being able to focus on our work, do our work, fulfill our commitments. I'm doing my commission. I'm doing my 20 hours. He's working full time, you know, and then be able to immerse ourselves in this new to us place and fully enjoy it was really special and that it really there's kind of a vacation aspect to it but it's also learning how to integrate real life with that sense of wonder and awe which hey that ties really well back to my whole purpose with painting and trying to really connect you and me and each of us with that sense of awe that we get to see every day from mm -hmm. beauty that surrounds us and I I felt like I got to have that pretty consistently from just lived experience and getting to <laughs> have just enough of a veneer with the trailer between me and the elements you know it's not like tent living where you're very aware of the elements um just just enough of a veneer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah we were in IBQ for a full week um and then wow. we moved on to Colorado to drop the completed commission which felt great um and then we picked up my stepdaughter my 19 year old stepdaughter in Durango and got to spend a week of pure vacation with her in Colorado, in the kind of high forests of Utah. And then the kind of heart of that trip was going to the Ruby Mountains in Eastern Nevada, which is a lesser known, but for me and my circles fabled, um, incredible wilderness. And we were at Lamoille campground and we showed up and my stepdaughter Risa says to me, yeah, if you and dad ever decided to be camp hosts here, I'd come visit you. I was like, oh, there's a... <laughs> <laughs> That's there high is. praise from a 19 year old. <laughs> Endorsement. Exactly. Exactly. So that was, that was really fun. We got to spend a kind of wonderful full three nights there, which is a treat. Um, there was one day where it was like a lot of the day was spent sipping coffees, reading New Yorkers and like playing in the river. Um, and that kind of time is really precious, especially without no no self-service. So it was just kind of, um, really good hang times in a really beautiful place that I've long wanted to spend time in. So 
Yeah. yeah besides, besides Alaska, I think the most beautiful place is the Southwest. I just, I love that whole area and I've spent a lot of time there too. So it's Fully just, agree. there's, there's just something really special about it. And just the, to be able to immerse yourself and be mostly, you know, outside or with that little tiny wall between you and the outside. And, uh, I just, that's just really lucky. Really. I'm really jealous. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for a big adventure like this. <laughs> so, uh, you, so you, when you got to Nevada, you ended up back in um, Reno for a while, which you have a special relationship with Reno. Yeah, I, um, we were in Reno for a while and I, the longer story there, what I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version, right. Is that I met my husband when I was living in Alaska back in, I mean, he wasn't my husband yet. Um, I met this guy when I was living in Alaska back in 20, 2009, I think. Um, and he lived in Reno and, uh, after a while of corresponding with him, the relationship getting more and more serious, right. He had this daughter and daughter and mom are in Reno. And so who's going to make the move. If we want to pursue this relationship, it's going to be me. And so I, I knew about the guy and I knew about the kid, loved them both, but I wasn't sure about the place. And so I, I went down a few times to see if this was someplace that I could live. And the resounding answer was yes. Um, the kind of high point of that being that my now husband took me on a five-day backpacking trip through the Santa Rosa wilderness in the northern part of the state. And we didn't see anybody for five days. And it was, to your point, really spectacular, lots of water. It wasn't what I had imagined, a desert or... Nevada. Uh, and I moved down and, you know, clearly forged and grew my relationship with my now husband and stepdaughter, but also really forged a relationship with Reno as a place where it was my first time living in the high desert. I had friends who warned me that I would love it and they were correct. I didn't own a car. I don't almost the entire time I was there until my husband and I purchased a truck um, at the very end. And so I had a bike I was biking my way across the city and I just found that while it was similar to Anchorage where it kind of like first glance, you're looking at it and you're thinking who designed this place or didn't, right? A little like just. And it's got a really dirty underbelly like Anchorage does, right? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And But then you scratch the surface, Anchorage and Reno both, and there's so much culture there and there's so much outdoor access and there's so, yeah, just the kind of way that the wilderness and wild places are just fully integrated into the experience of both Anchorage and Reno. And so that, that got under my skin. I mean, I loved Reno. And then upon moving, deciding to move back to Alaska with my husband and have Risa come in and visiting on breaks, um, you know, come February every year living up here, I've really questioned my decision-making insanity <laughs> with deciding to move away from the high desert that has sunshine. Um, and we have visited throughout the years because Wes's family is there and now Risa is going to University of Nevada, Reno. And over the years, I've slowly seen a change happening in Reno um, and kind of been able to ignore it. You're like, oh, the housing prices seem to be going up. Like, oh, there's more traffic. Oh, wow. There seems to have been an increase in homelessness happening here. The mm -hmm. restaurant scene is getting bougier and bougier. But that mm -hmm. for me, a couple of years hit a critical mass when I went back there and found that the place that I knew and loved was unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. And 
I felt like even if I'd wanted to move back, I'm priced out at this point because it's just skyrocketed so much. Um, the nice thing about coming back this time was that my expectations of Reno had changed and my mode of experience of it changed in that I wasn't looking as much to kind of go to all of our old haunts and re-experience something that I'd once had when I lived there. I now had the mobile studio in tow. I was reconnecting with people. We have bikes that we stashed at Wes's mom's house. So we were biking around, we were going running. And so I was connecting more and also frankly, saving money because I chose to do an epic road trip at a time of where I don't know, diesel costs my firstborn. And so there was definitely an aspect of, no, we will be grocery shopping. We will not be going out to dinner at all the places I'd like to go out to dinner. <laughs> but it forced me to experience the city in a new way and kind of reforge a relationship with it. And has it changed? Absolutely. But also are some of the elemental things like the sagebrush smell and the amazing mm -hmm. bike paths. Um, and just the beauty of the surrounding areas. Yep. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Yep, exactly. It, it, in that funny high desert way that sometimes like people don't appreciate. <laughs> exactly. Similar to many parts of Alaska, right? Yeah. Looking around and the beauty is subtle. It's more subtle. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so that was really nice to, we spent significant time there because we have family and close friends there. And again, it was a good place to kind of just set up and it felt really meaningful to me to get to reforge a sense of place. Um, mm -hmm with this place that honestly I was kind of mourning. It's like a place that I had loved and then it had changed on me. How yeah. dare it? Mourning <laughs> that loss, but it felt good to be back there and kind of take it in and still appreciate it for what it is. One of the things that you pointed out in some of your blog pieces was how the environment changed your painting. Um, and I thought that was pretty astounding, actually. It's something I'd never thought about, but because you can't control the environment, all of a sudden, when you're outside painting, things change. Yeah, I'm so excited you picked up on that. That was a major <laughs> aha of mine during this trip, and I still don't know where that's going to take me. But um, I realized it because, right, I was working, I was working on a new painting. I decided to start by painting it outside, and as I'm outside, the wind picked up. And what that means for acrylics, which are water-based, is that my, my palette was drying out quicker. And P.S., I also had to kind of balance my wrist in a funny way to like make sure the palette wasn't flipping on me and make sure <laughs> that the brushes were over. You know, there was just a little bit more kind of, um, I had to be quicker about painting. And my paintings, my style, I'm known for being fairly realistic, fairly fastidious. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that. But what I found that that experience and this repeated itself again and again taught me was to trust my gut and instinct more and work quicker and have more fun with it. And so what I ended up getting into kind of the habit of doing was starting paintings outside where I had to put down the background and really work quick with the brush um, and mix colors pretty quickly and just get a base down. And then toggle between bringing the painting inside to do more kind of detail fastidious work and then bringing it back outside for kind of the bigger flowier parts of it and I noticed that my paintings that I completed in that way were had some interesting colors like it was just kind of more fun with colors that I let myself embrace that's, that's the other piece is that there was less second guessing right if something was down 
on the canvas. I had to look at, okay, that's how it is. Uh, keep work with that. Just keep working with that. Don't try to change it. Don't try to erase it. Just work with that. And so the layers on the paintings that I completed that way were just a little bit um, bolder, brighter, maybe not exactly what was in the photo reference, but they worked out in the big picture because I had to look at the bigger patterns and just kind of complete that. And then, you know, again, completed inside with some of the kind of finicky like detail work that needs to happen in any painting. And so I'm curious, I'm, I did not expect that picking up the mobile studio would actually influence the way that I paint and that my art. And so I, I'm excited. I'm excited to play with that and see where that takes me. What, I mean, what does that mean for freezing cold Alaska, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you, if you're following Max Romy at all, you know, he was doing a lot of his watercolor outside this winter because he wanted yeah. to be close to home. So he was using uh, some vodka from a local distillery as oh. his water. Yeah. Oh, and he's to watercolors, keep, right? He's watercolors. Yeah. Fascinating. Oh, that yeah. is so interesting. I'll have to dig that up and see that. Yeah, that you should check out his stuff because it, it reminded me that the two of you are kind of both exploring the same thing about creating out, um, art in the outdoors, you know, being outside when you create these things. Yeah. And that that's an important part of your art is being outside. Fascinating. I really admire his stuff. I love his work. And now I'm wondering if I can mix vodka with acrylic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Something else you can try. <laughs> Do you mean like actually mix it with the acrylics or actually have it as a glass there next to you while you're oh, doing the acrylic? <laughs> excellent question. The problem with having a glass of anything next to me when I'm working is that I end up dipping my paintbrush in it, right? To paint <laughs> off. So I've tried to do that with coffee and tea and it has not worked out for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just keep it as a mixer then with your paints, right? With your exactly. acrylics. <laughs> exactly, that's so clever. Uh, I love that. Okay, so uh, what's next? You're back in Alaska now. I, you know, you've hinted at these events, but I don't know if I've actually seen these, what these events are. Yeah, well, and I'm, again, still kind of reeling and, you know, getting my head in order here. But I will tell you, this uh, I have a few events coming up throughout this late summer, fall. The first of them being, I think this is my third year in a row working with the Palmer Museum of History and Art in downtown Palmer as their featured artist of the week. They have this really lovely and wonderful community program where they feature different local artists um, for a week at a time. And we feature our art up in the museum and we get to go do this um, kind of uh, Friday meet the artist. I get to go there and kind of paint in real time and just chat with people. And it coincides with the Friday Palmer, uh, Friday fling event. Oh, yeah, those are fun, but, yeah. Yeah, and so I will be working with the museum. I will be on site in front of the museum on Friday, August 12th throughout the day with the mobile studio, basically kind of taking it for its first Alaska spin. Oh, cool. Painting outside. Um, I'll have merchandise there. Folks will be able to check out the studio and it's the last Friday fling. And so that one is really top of mind on my radar. And then I need to, and will, uh, hopefully by the time this airs, I'm going to update my website, alleyharveyart.com with the full list of events where folks can come and catch up. Um, but the hope is to, now that I'm back, have my feet under me, really be working on a slate of events, honestly, probably for next, next year, um, mm -hmm. a lot of them after this uh, fall, only because of the whole winterizing process with the trailer. I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to swing uh, this winter with the trailer in tow, but we'll see. 
And then are you going to drive outside at some point and spend some more time outside painting and going to events outside? Yep. Yep. I think yeah. do you mean outside like capital O outside Alaska? Yeah, capital O, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the vision. I mean, you know, it's um I think the vision will be probably around again like spring, summer of next year to drive back down again um, and hopefully again have kind of a slate of events set up and be able to do that more. This inaugural trip, I gave myself permission to just be pretty low-key about the event circuit because it mm -hmm. takes a lot of logistics and planning. And I wanted the time to really get to know the studio for the first time and get to know my art and myself in it. But I would now that I have it and I'm kind of coming to a slow, I really want to double down now on making the most of it and using it for what the original vision and intent was, which is really connecting with people and connecting with beautiful outdoor places. So mm -hmm. yes, that's next up. Well, hopefully you aren't gone for the best part of the summer again next year. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> we, we still have hope there'll be sun. This is really like late August weather, isn't it? <laughs> it for sure is. And apparently it started right when I rolled back in. So you're welcome slash I'm sorry. I yeah, it, it kind of is. It kind of is both the state of our, you know, that we were in, uh, I think we had just moved to a severe drought. So um, we needed it definitely for sure. But yep. the sunny days are nice too. They are. And when it rains in Alaska and it says that, you know, I just look at my phone app and the rain is just forecast for the next 10 days. I mean, it's excessive. Come on, Alaska, <laughs> you have balance. <laughs> Well, um, it was so great having you back again, Allie, and chatting about uh, this latest adventure. And I'm sure I'll have you again in the future. So thanks for joining me today. Lisa, thank you so much. This was so fun. That's it for today's show. Thanks to my guest, Allie Harvey. You can find pictures and links of Allie and her art on the Outdoor Explorer page at alaskapublic.org. You'll also find a list of the camping apps she used on her first trip in the trailer. If you want to check out her mobile art studio, she'll be at the Friday Fling in Palmer on August 12th. The show is produced by Eric Bork. My name is Lisa Keller. And from all of our hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thanks for listening and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, The Man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.